1: Welcome to Stand Up Speak Up, a podcast dedicated to spreading awareness about issues that usually get swept under the rug. This episode is brought to you by Wearable Therapy by Toki. Today, our Finding Shelley DeRoche series continues with Part 6, Stories from the Streets. When we left you last time, Carla had teamed up with Chris Williams, owner of Canadian Private Investigation Services. They were getting ready to hit the streets of London and try to dig up some information on leads we've received. Within 24 hours, they had spoken to dozens of people, and Carla had a glimpse of what most of us not involved in the world of drugs and prostitution can't even imagine. We're working on a full episode of interviews from people we found on the streets and in crack houses, people who knew Shelley, other sex workers, people from the neighbourhood, and their stories. That's coming next time. In this mini-episode, we'll chat with Carla about the experience, and you'll hear two stories that will open your eyes to some of the disturbing and heartbreaking things that happen in our very own cities. This is Stand Up Speak Ups, Finding Shelley DeRoche, Part 6, Stories from the Streets.
2: We left on Thursday with the intention we would spend the night in London. I rented Uh, like a townhouse from Airbnb. So it could house like myself, Chris, the private investigator, and my stepson, Sasha, also came along. And then we had Shelly's sister, Laura, come over with Shelly's friend, also Jamie. And we kind of used it as a mini headquarters while we went out and conducted interviews. So Thursday, we got there about four we went out um, to the streets till probably one thirty two a.m. and then back out for all day Friday. Before we even went out, Jamie and Laura and, and Chris and... I chatted quite a bit about approach and knowing that there's a real subculture there. How were how was I going to go and interview people that normally don't want anybody talking to them? They take their privacy very seriously. Um, so we kind of went through um, almost some role playing to make sure that, that I was prepared and that we were going to do it in a safe way because we're going to visit... Um, what they call the crack houses. And it's where a lot of the subculture drug people do their drugs. And if you get them at the wrong time and they're, they're looking for their next high, they could be perhaps not stable or or you're not, you can't really tell what, what they could possibly do. So Jamie and Laura are really good with kind of prepping me. And, and Jamie talked a lot about, you know, remember they're addicts. So their first priority is to get their next high and so they will try to manipulate you into giving them money or in trying to, you know, get you to give them what they need to continue their addiction. Because she says a lot of these people, their addiction is the number one priority and it's not their fault. They're They're addicts. And it's, we know it's a chemical reaction. They need their drugs or they get very sick, physically sick. So we kind of went through all that and then we decided we were going to start at where the area that Shelly was last seen, which was um, on Hamilton Road.
1: We obviously last episode heard about some of the concern because like you're talking about drug addicts here we're dealing with, but not just that, but potentially people who may know what happened to Shelly or maybe even are responsible for Shelly's disappearance. So there's some scary people out there that you were hoping to find out something about or possibly even talk to. So how did you approach this? Because I'm curious now, did you have to try and downplay the fact that you and Chris were were sort of investigating or did you go in there like uh, just uh, a random person off the street who was trying to be their buddy? How did you approach that situation?
2: Well, I think the first time we approached it was we went to the Tim Hortons, which is where they all kind of hang out and they all go get their their Tims and some food. and, And so we went and hung out there, which is kind of a central point where everything happens. And just kind of, you know, got some coffee, hung around, waited for some people to come by. And, and I did get to meet a really, you know, nice kid named um, Tim, who I got to meet there. And, and his girlfriend worked at the Tim's there. And and I think he's um, probably still in that drug world. I didn't want to be rude and say, are you still doing, doing math? But I would say that there is definitely drug use there. And he was just talking about the reality of working at the Tim's at that location, because a lot of the drug users go into the bathroom and shoot up and then blood spurts everywhere. And they're responsible for cleaning it up, the Tim's employees. So we went in there and got some, you know, just photos of the needles and stuff that, that are, that are laying around. And I just felt so sorry for those Tim employees um, that have to deal with all that. I mean, really it's, it's a very unsafe neighborhood.
1: Yeah, that is not the image that most Tim Hortons locations portray. And for anyone that's listening from outside of Canada, Tim's is its like our Dunkin' Donuts kind of. It's our go-to coffee chain basically in Canada. And that is not what crosses my mind, people shooting up in the bathroom of uh, Tim Hortons of, of any of the locations I've ever been to.
2: That's right. And a lot of the um, the girls there that work there, they do get picked up. None of them feel comfortable walking home or or, I mean, it's a pretty, I think you have to be a pretty cautious neighborhood. So I think that was kind of the first chance for me to kind of interact with some of the characters. From that, we decided to, you know, walk the streets a bit that Shelley walked and talk to some of the working girls. And that was really, um, you know, sad in many ways, because the only reason they're really working and walking the beat is because they're they're drug addicts, and, and as I said, that's a that's a physical, that's a physical chemical need. It's it's not, you know, they're not out there because it's glamorous or because they're trying to make pocket money for a Louis Vuitton purse. I mean, it's basically to fill their drug habit. And they had known Shelley, and a lot of them were scared um, what that meant. You know, was it a bad John? Um, you know, how could she just disappear and nobody know anything as well as the other girls. But they were also very focused on getting their next John so they could make some cash that evening, get their drug, you know. So they're very, it, it was kind of hard to catch their attention. So they would talk for a few minutes, but we, we a few times had um, the girls say, can you please like step away because you're not helping me get my next customer. And I was shocked how, open it seemed there how many johns just drove up and girls hopped in i mean the thing that shocked me most about this area is it was it's very slum it's very inner city boarded up houses almost you know every other house is some sort of crack house it's it's really i haven't seen a neighborhood like this anywhere before in my travels in in canada i have seen it of course in the states but not Toronto, not Hamilton. Maybe they have it in Vancouver. I haven't I haven't been out there, but it really was shocking.
1: Well, it's an interesting point you make about that because we've even had comments on this podcast series from people that live in London and said, Wow, thank you for highlighting this whole situation. I didn't even realize that in my own city it was happening. And I just so happened to have lived in London for a year and you know, I heard about places like that's an area you don't want to go in, otherwise if you're if you're avoiding those places or you just don't end up there you really don't realize what might be going on in your very own city. I never saw really anything like that in my time living in London because you just never never went there, but now you're uncovering a, a lot of surprises for people that didn't uh, didn't know it existed.
2: I mean, it's very shocking. I mean, it's and the 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 working girls are quite open. The drug deals seem to happen right out in the open. It's it's quite in your face, I would say, not hard to to find a needle laying around.
1: So, what were some of the the people that you talked to? Some of the stories that that you actually got? Did you? Uh, you know, what did you learn? Anything eye opening there?
2: Yes, uh, yes. Um, I think we got closer to trying to uncover the truth. Um, we did meet one. One lady who has lived in that neighborhood her whole life and was very closely associated with the the Hell's Angels, and so she's quite well connected. She had a tattoo on her chest that said "fuck the police" um, because she's had so many run-ins with the police. So that caught me right off, right as soon as I walked in. And she has been around these streets forever. Grew up in the streets. At one time, she told me that she even ran a brothel not too far up the streets. And so she was really quite up to speed on Shelley's um, disappearance and all the rumors. And she talked quite openly about what she had heard. And based on that, it took us to another crack house to go and interview
1: them. It's interesting that I'm hearing about with the span of a day or so, all the people that you talk to and how busy the, the road was where Shelley and the other women would hang out. So for her to have disappeared and no one to have seen anything or know what's going on, it seems to be a little odd.
2: That's right, Joel. I mean, everybody knows everybody's business. What they basically do is they sit outside all these different locations and observe. And she, this one lady She's always at the Timbs, and she's always she always knows what's going on in the neighborhood. And it, it's almost like this it's almost like a town unto itself. You know, it's like this neighborhood, and they're all in each other's business. So she had a she had a couple of theories. One, which right after she said it, I knew couldn't be. Couldn't be valid because it was about Shelley's ex-husband taking her to BC and and then um, keeping her in a hotel room and, and pimping her out. But we know that that can't be true. And the other one was that someone, of which she names the people, slit her throat and threw her into some type of dumpster. Her, you know, and it was over a bad drug deal, whatever. You know, and and for us to go to another. Um, one of the houses and talk to people and try to get more information. And so that's kind of where we went next. And maybe I was a little bit more nervous, but once I kind of get there and get talking and get the conversations going, I kind of forget where I am. And I'm just, because each and every person I meet is extremely interesting. I mean, all of them have a story to tell that's almost unbelievable.
1: And unbelievable they are. Right now, we want to share two of those stories with you. The first is the tattooed woman who Carla mentioned a few minutes ago.
2: It's an interesting tattoo. That was the first thing that yeah. that we noticed. And her tattoo says, fuck the police. Why The police here in London or police in general?
3: Police here in London.
2: Tell me about that.
3: Well, they're lazy. They don't want to do paperwork. They won't get off their ass and do their job. And uh, what good are they? You know?
2: Do do people feel protected in the community with them?
3: No. How do you feel protected when you go behind Crouch Library and a cop's getting a blowjob from one of the girls on the street and saying, oh, give me a blowjob and I won't put you in jail?
2: Do you think that happens frequently?
3: Oh yeah, I walk down there at night.
2: You do? So you go down there at night, and do you say anything ever to the cops?
3: No, I video some of it.
2: Do you have some of that video?
3: No, I don't. They took it. (laughs) The police took
2: it, so they saw you videotaping. And what streets would they do that? On Hamilton Road. I mean, there was an investigation that they brought in another police... um, another police group to investigate the London police for those kind of allegations, but nothing came of it.
3: Well, my son was murdered here. November 2015.
2: What, and sorry, they,
3: James Arthur Drennan, the fifth Saunders. And the police did not do nothing. They said it was a suicide. I have five causes of death. I don't have a full <laughs> autopsy report, and I had to pay for a second autopsy for them to find out that he was overdosed with 100 milligrams of methadone.
2: Who do you think did that?
3: The girl that was staying with him.
2: I and can't she, say she did the it name. Accidental?
3: No. She had two guys come in, she propped the door open and I had two guys go in and rob my son.
2: And to just get money?
3: Yeah, money, jewelry.
2: Was he trying to get clean?
3: No, my son didn't do drugs. They just started an investigation into the murder of my son okay. five months ago. So he got nailed. What happened two years, to the year and whatever. Uh, Did he ever go missing,
2: uh, or was he found dead?
3: I called him. He was found dead by his landlady. Okay. They wouldn't let me in. They cremated Uh, my son. They refused to let me see him. And And then they turned around and let the landlord go in and take what she wanted, clean the apartment.
2: Couldn't get an autopsy because they cremated him.
3: Well, no, they did the autopsy, but I made them do a second one because I knew my son don't do drugs. Did you
2: pay for the second one?
3: They tried to make me pay, and then the government said I didn't have to. But I only got one paper.
2: One paper, what does it say? Not too much of
3: anything, just that he had uh, uh, methadone, methadone, 100 milligrams of methadone in his system. And uh, a little bit of alcohol. He drank a beer and $10 worth of crack cocaine.
2: Uh, Was his girlfriend a crack addict?
3: No, she was out in B.C. No.
2: I mean the girl he lived with.
3: No. No, she was a good little girl. She no. smoked weed. So
2: who killed him? You think the lady was his workmate?
3: Or? No, she, when he moved into his apartment, she went over at 2.30 at night, brought some crack and a bottle of wine and drank the wine. And then my son, Jimmy, my stepson, Michael, moved him in with me. And then uh, the girl come at 2.30 after work. She's a rub and tug or a yes, okay, whatever. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she spent the night with my son. They all did a little blast of crack and then Michael left with but, two but beers. your son didn't
1: do drugs or he did He drugs. did
3: a little bit of drugs, maybe two, three times a week. 20 yes. piece of crack. Yes. And the police knew it. But and of he course. lived
2: around here. Did you live with him? No, no, no lived I lived... Separate. With,
3: I lived away over West End of London. He moved just down off of Adelaide.
2: So do you feel like now your whole purpose in life is just to...
3: To solve his murder. To
2: solve his murder.
3: And hopefully get his jewelry back, his hat, his coat. I just bought him over $1,000 worth of clothes the day he moved in.
2: How old was he?
3: 38. And he had said to her he has trouble sleeping and the next day she brought him the methadone and said this is a sleeping medication, drink it he drank it and died
2: and you think she did that in order to steal all this stuff?
3: yeah and well, she's she a junkie whore herself
2: is she being investigated?
3: well they, she's number one on the list, yes is
2: and she the, still out and about the streets here?
3: oh yeah, she's running now, she's got nowhere to live
2: do, do you ever see her? yeah what do you do when you see her?
3: Keep going, because if I stop, I'm going to hurt her.
0: Just a quick interjection. I'm Zach Tolstoy, one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up. Our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand. We are supported by an online store of the same name, where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors, and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up Speak Up, our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes, organizations, and groups that we're passionate about and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon.
1: Now we hear from a girl named Olivia, who herself went missing for some time. She was trafficked by a man who she calls the love of her life.
2: You went missing?
4: Yeah. And how long were you missing for? I popped back up here and there, but um, not a lot of people knew where I was or what I was doing. Who, Who was looking for you? My mom, for the most part, but then my it got to the point towards the end that my mom had even the mayor's wife looking for me. The mayor of London? Yeah. My mom had uh, teams of people looking how, for me. I was all over she, the place. How did she do that, your mom? My mom's one hell of a woman. <laughs> my, mom, my mom wouldn't have stopped until she found me. And where were you during that year and a half? year? Um, I was... Basically, I, um, I started using a drug that... I'm not proud of. I met someone that I thought was going to be the love of my life. Yes. And, um, and I can honestly say still is, but the man that did those things to me isn't the man that I'm in love with, you know? No. Um. Did he, did he kidnap you? Technically, yes. Um. Technically, no. It's hard to... St- I mean, like... I know, because you were in love, and you thought yeah. that it was going to build a future together. Yeah. And he was going to... And I constantly wanted to believe in the person that I saw versus the person that he was. So during that year was a lot of trauma, I can imagine. More than I could explain.
2: Were you able to call anyone, or did he keep all the phone
4: from you and you couldn't... Most of the time, he kept a phone from me once I was allowed to have a phone. I mean, I, I was... reached out. I reached out to everyone because, I mean, it was my way of creating a safety, you know, a security net. And the more people that I told, the more people that were going to worry about me when they didn't hear from me in a week. But it got to the point where everybody kind of dropped the ball on me, and uh, I, I didn't stop going back. So at the end of the day, it was my fault, you know? No, it's not oh, your gosh. fault. No, it's not. Well, no, but I mean, it I wouldn't know. have continued if I didn't continue to go well, back, you know? I, and I'm not saying what he, I'm not justifying anything, I'm not saying what he did was okay, but I do take responsibility for my actions in the fact that I could have stopped it a long time ago. In that year, where did you live? Trap houses, pretty much. <laughs> all over London. So you didn't ever leave London? No.
2: And did your mom just go visit them all the time?
4: To be honest, I couldn't tell you. Um, my mom was, uh, towards the end, um, I mean, it got to the point where my mom did some things that she probably wasn't proud of, like pulling kids off the of bikes. <laughs> um, that's a good thing. That's, like, that's yeah. a mom. My mom's a pit bull, and my mom wouldn't stop. And I think I have my mom to thank for that, honestly, because not a lot of parents would fight for their kids like that well I guess you're worth fighting for and where are you living now um kind of all over the place right now um me and my i I call him my brother but he's not my brother um I've taken him underneath my wing and uh he's going through a lot and um his grandmother has treated me like family and it feels really nice to be treated well by people especially in this lifestyle because yeah, people in this lifestyle they don't it's very rare to come by good genuine people these days and um, I uh, I have a really good support system right now so and do you live with your mom does she no I'm not, my mom has custody my daughter I have a five year old daughter um, so right now I stay away as much as I can because I don't really want to I'm not ready to give her what she deserves right so when I'm ready to be the mother that that she needs and that she deserves then uh, then I will enter myself back into her life but I don't I'm not capable of doing that right now. You know. How can you move on then? How do you do that? I just take it day by day.
2: And do you have support? Like, do you have or therapy you can go to, or therapy, or, or do you have counseling? What, what, what is the city have, giving you for set you up for success? I
4: don't need the only. At the end of the day, the only person that can help me get over this is me, and the people that I hold significant in my life. Somebody sitting in front of me that I don't know is not going to help me get through this. They don't know me. And, I mean, fuck, I barely know me. <laughs> it's hard to, uh, I used to know me very, very well, and I've always stayed true to who I am, but I, um, I've spent a whole entire year staying true to him that I kind of lost myself a lot. So right now I'm just kind of trying to get back on my feet and find myself again. And Did he go to jail? Yeah, he's, he's been in jail since uh, February, I believe. Is he older than you? Yeah, he just turned 27. Can I ask how old you are?
2: 23. Did you, were you ever in the foster system or? No.
4: No. So you grew up, you had your mom and? I moved out when I was 14. What made you move out at 14? Um, My, up until the guy my mom's with now, and I'm so happy she finally ended up with a good man um, who treats her well. Uh, My mom had terrible taste in in men growing up and um, I basically told her to choose me or him and she chose both, so I chose me. It's really amazing. You're so pretty. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Okay.
2: So you had to go through all that shit and now you feel like, do you feel you've come out stronger for it or do you feel like every day is
4: a It's struggle? a hit or miss some days, you know? Um, I mean, I am, I'm a hell of a lot stronger I mean, I wouldn't have gone through this. I would have went through it for a reason, you know? I can't, I can't expect that anybody would be put through something like that and make it out and, you know there's no damn good reason for it. I mean, I'm, I'm strong. I'm a um, lot stronger than I used to be. And how many, um, how many girls did you meet in your same situation? I've kind of been abused my whole entire life uh, by
1: men. Are there more of you out there right now in the same situation
4: it. Of course. Yeah. And I, I actually found out... Um, when my mom finally found me and I came forward and I gave my story, I actually found out that the, the, there were multiple other women he had done this to. So I, I, I had to accept the fact that, you know, I can't force him to love me the same way that I love him. And um, What did you love about him? What was it about him? It wasn't anything about him and I, I don't really think that what you love about somebody is what a definition of love is. Love isn't a definition, it's a feeling. Yeah, so how, like, when, did you feel safe with him at He's the, the time? He was the first person I ever felt something for. Um, there's a difference between a thought and a feeling for me. And you, you can think that you love somebody as much as you want, and you'll believe it because you think it, but he was the first person I actually truly felt something for. It was an uncontrollable, when you touch the person you love and you get that rush through your body, that's completely natural. And I, he was the first person I had ever truly fallen in love with, and I fought for that, and I'm, I, I don't, I don't give up on, you know, the things that I... That, that I care love. about. No, I, I I fight I fight like no ends. And so, what what is your big struggle right now? What are you trying to overcome? I'm uh, trying to still overcome an addiction because it was a coping mechanism for yes, the you know the yes. whole entire time. So yes, but I mean, there's a difference between you having control of the drug and the drug having control of you. You know, I'm still me, and I know why I use it, and um. And I don't, I don't need it, You know, I, I only ever use it when I, I need to cope. It's can, not something can. I can use every single day at all. What would you say
2: to the girls out
4: there that could be falling into your situation?
2: What advice would you give them?
4: Sometimes the love of your life isn't always meant to be in your life. And you always have to look out for number one. And for me, I mean, if, if you have kids, the one thing I beat myself up the most about everything that I went through was that I chose him over her every day. And it should never even be a choice. The decision is easy. And, um, your kids are the only definition of unconditional love that there is on this planet. And there should be nothing that comes before them. Nothing. Nothing. Do the trap houses, are they still in existence right now? No. I don't really even talk to much people anymore. I keep my, my circle close. And, um... Do you have a good friend that lives here? Uh, yeah, one of my, Joel well, J is one of my good friends. Um, oh, he is, okay. Mm-hmm. You've
0: already beaten the odds. Yeah. So,
4: um, I, you have to, your mind is only as strong as you make it. I mean, you have to have a, a very, very strong mind in order to understand what a drug is doing to it and not completely let it take control and, and lose yourself, you know? And I, I feel like... You know, there's a very, very big reason that I went through what I went through and it's I feel like it's molded into me, molded me into who a huge part of who I was supposed to be, you
1: know. We wish Olivia the best on her journey and leave you today with a sample of her singing talents. Olivia has a whole SoundCloud page. We'll link to it in the show notes for this episode. Before we go, an update on the My Sister's Place GoFundMe page and a way that you can help. If you followed the story of Shelley DeRoche, you know she spent a good deal of time at My Sister's Place, an organization in London that welcomes women going through tough situations. Recently, they were hit with sewer problems, which negatively affected the care they could provide. To help, they started a GoFundMe page with a goal of $33,000 to go towards repairs. They have met that goal but now have an even greater need with a new goal of $55,000. At the time of recording this show, they were at $48,000. Our sponsor, Wearable Therapy by Toki, made a donation last episode of $150, but wanted to do even more and give you the opportunity to help. For every written iTunes and Podbean review that Stand Up Speak Up receives for the rest of June, Wearable Therapy will donate $5 to the cause, raising our donation even higher. So be sure to find Stand Up Speak Up on iTunes or Podbean, leave a review, and help My Sister's Place continue doing their important work. We'll see you next time with more interviews from the streets as we continue our quest to find out what happened to Shelley DeRoche.
5: No bandits, moving every angle Show them how to handle Loosen like the vandal. Closer to advance, yo Uh, the circle run deep Tune in the channel Let the verse run deep And loosen the tangle Feel full of fiber I set it to stay warm Show it won't fall Summer be torn The seed have been born The rest have been born in the mess never tested If the nest is sworn Protect my word Gotta check my worth Little taste when it's served Make plans so it's sure, Not end up like scabs on the earth Think like hash, done laps till it burns. My past never learns, my blessings are cursed. All the pressure compressed the reason we search and believe what it's worth, man. I got different flavors, Every day I'm my God, for it favors. Life of a paper chaser. Nigga get cheese, I'ma see y'all later. Got different flavors. Yeah, I'm on Asking my grass, you for it, Life of a paper chaser. Nigga, get cheese, i am see y'all later. I'd be killing gold diggers before I beat 'em. them. Beat them. A- Only get a- these hoes in one room before we greet them. A- they left the kid outside, you better treat them. Cause the money about Yao Ming size, you better get it. Empty a- 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 F- T- pockets don't suit me, you better a- check them. Got that slow flow venom. Don't talk to that shit unless you see it. Tell them go and wet them. Yeah, I'm with my dogs, tell them niggas go and get them. A- that's the word I'm putting out. Hey. Grew up on the block with no handouts, Snaps, kush, freestyle's the life with no plans out. Aim for the top, yep. kicking in the window, trying to bring them bands out. And That's out. the only way my niggas now to get the, the mans out. Yep. out. Trying to stack our bread with two kids in the damn drought. Yep. This is just a verse of what the man about. yes kush, lil' nigga. I got different Every flavors, yeah. I'm a man, 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 a man, i
1: am a paper chaser you get man i am i am later i got different flavors i am a a paper
5: chaser They can get cheese, a see y'all later. I try to stay away from all the bullshit, niggas with no life, bitches with their hand out, broke motherfuckers, when you see them, they stand down, turn they back quick, on they click, they man down, gotta stay away from these clowns, they be everywhere, I swear, I see about 50 every year, hands in my pocket, you gotta stay clear, these snakes, they be really trying to get me off the air, they gotta live for em. Messing with my head Don't work too hard for shit Disappear I ride on these
3: fools I'm breaking all the rules. Nigga, call the cops That's all you can do Everybody going down When my niggas come for you We eating And moving on up Like George and Weezy Love all my haters Who
4: said it was easy I'ma get money Stack it with my queen bee And every day I'm on my grind To get this money Get this money
5: Every day I'm on my grind, you get this money. I got different
0: flavors. Every day I'm on asking my grind, me for you favors. Life
5: of a paper chaser, nigga get cheese. I'ma see y'all later. I got different flavors. Every day I'm
4: on asking my me for favors. Life of a paper chaser, nigga get cheese. I'ma see y'all later.